0: Welcome back to The Basketball Show, Sports 1440. I'm your host, Paul Sir. Uh, one of the joys of live radio is if your guest isn't available when you call him. And right now we're struggling, Connor, to reach Kyle Macy, but we'll keep trying through this segment. Brian, let's go back to I, I'm gonna, a, a little bit of a different take on women's basketball, and that is we're really excited. Everyone in Canada is excited that the women found a way to into the Olympics because no matter how you get there the important thing is that you get there and then you get the opportunity to make the most out of that opportunity when the Paris Olympics come along but I want to touch on the phenomenon of uh, Caitlin Clark because we talked about it last week it was before uh, she her Iowa team played Nebraska on Sunday and she had 31 at the end of three quarters needed 7 to break the NCAA record and uh, for inexplicable reasons, didn't, hardly took a shot in the fourth quarter, and Iowa found a way to lose. But then she came out later in the week, uh, broke the record within the first couple of minutes of the game, and uh, it had 49 and set a record for Iowa. That, what, what, do you, what can you say about Caitlin Clark and her impact on women's basketball?
1: Uh, I was trying to think of, you know what, she reminds me so much of Kobe Bryant in her kind of audacity, like yeah. the fact that the, the, the record breaking shot, she shoots from the logo. And, I'm, the logo, I, and I'm sitting there thinking, like, I wonder what her coach thinks about this. Right. But
0: we're going to touch on that a bit more because we do have Kyle Macy online now. We're going to jump to it. But she reminds me more of Pete Maravich even than Kobe. So we'll we'll talk about that in a bit. So right now I'd like to welcome to the program uh, Kyle Macy, University of Kentucky national champion. And Kyle, thanks so much for joining us.
2: Yeah, happy to be with you. Thanks.
0: Well, Kyle, you're you're talking up in the Great White North. I know that doesn't typically happen for a bluegrass guy <laughs> like yourself. So uh, we're happy to bring a little winter into your life. Uh, Kyle, talk about your experience at the University of Kentucky. I mean, it's for people who who follow basketball, they understand the importance and significance of Kentucky basketball, and particularly the University of Kentucky basketball, but you won the the NCAA championship in 1978. What was your experience like playing for the great uh, Joe Joe Hall and uh, winning the national championship?
2: Yeah, well, um, it's kind of hard to explain to an outsider that's never seen a game or, you know, been to Rupp Arena to watch a game or Uh, anywhere, really, to watch the Kentucky team play because it's almost like a religion here in Kentucky in the fact the the way that the fans follow the team, know as much information as they can get about each player. Um, And a lot of times when the team goes on the road, they travel very well, so a lot of times those road games become home games. And I know after I graduated, I played in the NBA, and uh, wherever I played, from Seattle to Florida, whatever, uh, it seemed like there was always someone who would come up before a game or after a game and said, hey, I'm a Kentucky fan, I saw you play, blah, blah, blah. And so it, it, it's just amazing. I mean, it's been years and years since I played, and I still you know, get recognized as I travel around doing different things.
0: Yeah, I, I think that uh, sports fans, it's similar probably in Canada, most similar with hockey, but uh, sports right. fans for basketball in a culture like you had at the University of Kentucky uh, you, you really can't describe it. I, I remember going to Kansas, I, and I'm sure you're not happy to hear that, but I went to a game in Kansas. <laughs> but but the, uh, the same thing existed there, this, just that sense of history, religion, the attention to who was playing, what the significance was to the community. So, so Kyle, sure. you have this outstanding college career. You go on to the NBA. Talk about the NBA in late seventies, early eighties, and maybe how how would you uh, how would you describe your experience then, and how do you view the NBA now?
2: Um, well, I had a great experience. I mean, obviously, you get to to play a game that you love to play, and they're actually paying you money for it. Although. Money wasn't near what it is nowadays. <laughs> but, yeah, it wasn't uh, it, it, the
0: stupid money of today. I, I
2: do understand. Yeah, the monopoly money. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, it was a great experience. The game was a lot different. It was a more uh, dominant by the big men, uh, and the ball always went inside first look. Uh, and I, I know I I watched some of the games today, and Steph Curry in particular, when some of the shots he takes, I, I, I remember thinking the first time I watched him play that, you know, if I have taken a couple of those shots from the locations where he shot him on the court, my big men would have come out and said, you shoot another one of those, I'm going to break your arm. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it, it was a more inside-oriented game today. It's more perimeter game. But, um, you know, athletes today are bigger, faster, stronger. But I don't know if they're fundamentally sound as as the game in the 70s, 80s. Um, but, you know, it, time-changed things. So. Well,
0: I, I, that's an interesting point, actually, Kyle, because... One of the uh, we we had some uh, we had some great guests on early that relate to our community here uh, some uh, two former great university players from from Edmonton uh, and then my son who still plays overseas. But we talked about how players today are, a general athleticism is through the roof b the fundamental skills if you want to call it that the what I would call iso skills handling the ball, go left, go right, uh, all of the special fancy dribbling, etc. But where uh, a lot of athletes today are different or players today are different is they don't understand how to play the game and translate all those great individual skills into a team concept. Do you think that does that echo or, or tie into your view of the game today?
2: Yeah, no, I think that's very true. I mean, I don't think they really understand how to create opportunities for teammates because it is more of a one-on-one game. And yeah, But the NBA kind of created that when they started promoting individuals as opposed to team, uh, you know. So I heard a, uh, someone say a while back, it really makes a lot of sense, he says, here in the States, uh, we play six days a week and practice one, which is referring to AAU basketball. But in Europe, they practice six days a week for that one game. And then I think that's probably one of the reasons why the European players you see more and more uh, having success in the NBA. Uh, so it's kind of interesting to hear that comment.
0: I think there's that, that's an extremely accurate comment. And we're talking with Kyle Macy here on the basketball show on Sports 1440. Kyle Macy, the great University of Kentucky and NBA player. Uh, when you look at Jokic, and this sounds a bit irreverent, but I mean it with the, the most sincere flattery. When you watch Jokic or even uh, Luka play, they look like guys you'd see down at the YMCA because, <laughs> you know, they play slower. They, uh, they're they not jumping. You know, they're not super athletes. But their dominance and their basketball IQ, of course, is, is through the roof. But the way they see the game indicates, to your point exactly, Kyle, which is their understanding and seeing the angles and understanding the not just the play in front of them but the play... Two uh, two sequences down uh, in, in the in the offensive possession, that really I, I think bears out what you just stated.
2: Yeah, and those are players I think you know the fans like to watch play, and and it's not because you know they're putting their elbow on the rim, whatever. But like you said, they they understand how to play. They're they're great passers. Um, the their opponents cannot speed them up, like so. they played at a slower pace, but they opponents don't know what to do with them defensively because they just. They control everything, and so they're, they're, they're
0: fun to watch. I do like watching those two teams play. Do you uh, today, Kyle? You've coached at the Division One level at Moorhead State. Uh, obviously, played in the NBA. Uh, how do you feel about NCAA basketball with all of the all of the changes? I mean, my gosh, when you look at the NCAA game today, uh, the transfer portal, uh, the uh, of course uh, the NIL money. Uh, <laughs> what 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 do you what do you think of the NCAA now? Do you think this bodes well for the game with this uh what I would call almost uh, a loud anarchy that now is creeping into it where you can transfer without consequences? Uh do you think it's good for the game? Uh is it too early to tell? What's your what's your thoughts?
2: Uh no, I don't think it's too early to tell. I don't think it's good for the game at all. And NIL money as well. It's basically free agency. Uh, these are pro players now. They're they're actually getting paid. And one thing the NCAA used to talk about was always trying to put a level playing field out there. But now there's no way the smaller schools could compete. You know, trying to get as much NIL money as say the Alabama footballs or Kansas, Kentucky basketball and those type of things. And um, it, it's really distracted from the game. And it, it may have made the game a little more level as far as talent across the board because. If a player's not playing, he's leaving. That it'd be difficult, I think, to be a coach nowadays because you don't know who's coming back from the following year, um, and then also the one and dones and those type of things. But uh, you know, the recruiting is basically how much we can offer you financially, and it's what the players are looking for. They're not, and here it can tell you a perfect example. They're not really That coach will just flat out admit it. You know, the, the best thing is not winning championships; it's getting players in the NBA. That, that's that's his best day in kentucky basketball which you know old timers like myself disagree with it's all it should be all about winning championships the so, thing you find out too that and i was fortunate i was on some good teams and we won the championship in 78 and because of that success that's why i was drafted and got to play professionally
0: yeah that certainly has changed uh, today and i think the university of kentucky I'm, I'm curious john calipari with you know with the uh reputation he has uh somewhat uh Interesting reputation, but uh, you know he's been at Kentucky now for a long time. I think they've fallen out of the top twenty-five uh, right now, but they still have a lot of marquee athletes. Is that what you just described? That kind of culture. How many players can I get to the NBA? Has that permeated the University of Kentucky basketball culture?
2: Yeah, that's the attitude they're promoting. Uh, at some point, you think it might come back and bite them. and the fact that they promoted what was it, 57 players on opening day NBA uh, rosters, and there's six players or seven maybe in the NBA All-Star game. And you see all those great numbers, but then you're thinking, yeah, but we've only won one championship since you've been here. Um, but the the other side of that is I don't think they're going to fire him because the athletic director gave him basically a lifetime contract. So, um, yeah, it's it's <laughs> – The college game, which was you know an amateur game at one time, has basically become a financial game. Whether it's administrative people, how much money can we bring in with esports and those type of things, or now the players getting involved.
0: What's attendance like? I'm I'm really curious because typically I think (laughs) your uh, Rupp Arena holds about is it? Am I right about twenty two thousand?
2: Yeah. Okay. It's um, it it went well. I guess the saving grace is Jeff Shepard's son Reed Shepard is a freshman. And they're from here in Kentucky, London, Kentucky. And they have an outstanding season. And, and Kentucky people like Kentucky kids, obviously. So they've, they've been very supportive. Um, I think had he not come to school here with the roster of kids basically from out of the state and the disappointing losses, the really poor home schedule that they put on every year. I mean, they play a tough schedule, but with all the big games are neutral sites. Now, they did play Gonzaga at home last week, which was a big game, and they lost. But, you know, in return, they'll play, you know, it's like a five- or six-game series. Most of those games, they were able to get Gonzaga to play at a neutral site instead of the home court, which that's good negotiating. I don't know how you do that. <laughs> You'll come to Rupp Arena, but then play a neutral site when it's your game. Um, so the attendance is down, I think, overall, but it's picked back up some with the SEC play and, like I said, the success that Reed Sheppard had this year.
0: Kyle, I, I, I I'm sorry to do it, but I can't resist. You were in the first ever three point competition. And of yep. course that is uh just absolutely loaded with the folklore of Larry Bird. Uh and his <laughs> <laughs> were you in the locker room when Bird walked in and the legend goes, made the statement he made?
2: Well, um, he was in the locker room when I came in. There was one or two other players in there. Um, but as a player would come in the door, he'd say, oh, he's going to be sixth. Uh, he's going to be third. You know, <laughs> and everybody knowing that he's thinking he's the one that's going to win it. He, you know, I, I'm from Indiana, as Larry is as well. And, uh, he never really said much to me, so I don't know <laughs> what that was. But there were some good shooters. You know, you had uh, – Leon Woods, who later on I think may have won. It. Craig Hodges won a few times, I think. And uh, Trent Tucker, D- Dale Ellis, Leapy Floyd. And I think Norm Nixon uh, later in his career was, was also on that squad. So not squad, but the roster of who was shooting. Now, I tell you, it was so unusual, though. I mean, it was the first year they had the contest. And um, I I didn't practice at all. I didn't really know. They they sent out, I think, if I remember, like the music to the, the when you're going to be shooting. And you had a minute, but I, I never practiced uh, because it was just all new. You know, you were concerned more about the, your games and staying after some silly three point contest thing. So when I got out there, I shot a pretty good percentage, but I just didn't, I didn't even get to the last rack. That's how slow I was shooting because I had no idea, you know, how fast you had to go to shoot them. So um, I think if I had practiced, I, I would have gone on because I was shooting a good percentage and would have advanced further. Now, I don't know if I would have beaten Larry. He got hot there and won on a string. It seemed like, I don't know if that was that contest or one of the other ones he won. But, um, yeah, it it was fun, though, just a chance to be at All-Star Weekend, even though I wasn't playing in the All-Star game.
0: Well, and and talk about being a part of history and how it's changed. So, uh, Kyle, unfortunately, our time... Let
2: me me tell you this real quick. Uh, I think that year, the most I ever shot maybe during my career, 3 pointers was 100. Between 100 and 150, and I think I only shot over 100 hundred two of my seven years of play in the NBA. And if you look at Steph Curry, he's he does anywhere that in a from six hundred to eight hundred attempts. Yeah. So so the game has changed a little bit. More perimeter. Yeah, it,
0: it, it's always frustrating when you look at it and go, it just wasn't in quite the right era, but that's just the hand the hand we're dealt. So <laughs> Kyle Macy, it has been a pleasure. Uh I didn't get a chance to talk about your bourbon company. Uh but uh It has been a real pleasure speaking with you. It's always an honor to talk to someone like yourself with such a rich history in the game, and thank you for making time to join us here on Sports 1440.
2: Anytime. Thanks for having me on.
0: You're listening to The Basketball on Sports 1440. We'll be back right after these messages. Welcome back to The Basketball Show on Sports 1440. I'm your host, Paul Sir. I am really pleased to bring in uh, someone that we actually had the opportunity to speak with pre-COVID. Uh, Chris Denari, the play-by-play voice from Bally Sports Indiana for the Indiana Pacers. Uh, Chris, thanks so much for joining us today.
3: Hey, great to be with you anytime I can talk basketball. Uh, I, lo- I love the simple title of the show, the Basketball Show. That's great.
0: We there, there's no doubt about what this show is all about, Chris, and <laughs> we're keeping it real simple. And and of course, being from the state of Indiana, there's I think the entire population of Indiana is always ha- happy to talk basketball.
3: Well, there's no question. Uh, you know, when I was a kid growing up, uh, and and I'm I'm from Indiana, played high school basketball here, uh, played Division three basketball here, but. We moved a couple of times. My, my dad was a teacher and a coach, and so I've, I've been around the game my whole life. But when we moved to the two houses that we lived here in Indiana, one of the first things my dad did was put a basket up on, on the roof of the garage. I mean, that that's be- almost before anything else happened at the house. So uh, that, that's the beauty about Indiana growing up. Everywhere you turned, there was a basket, and you had to have one.
0: I've driven through Indiana a number of times and I can uh, I can vouch for that that if it was up in Edmonton where basketball is growing and we're really proud of and happy for the direction it's taking but now it's not so uncommon to see baskets in driveways but in Indiana it's the exact opposite it is uncommon to not see a basket in the driveway Oh
3: yeah there's no question about that
0: So, Chris, let's talk about the Pacers. I'm going to start with Canadian content. Uh, Last night, uh, uh, Ben Mathurin was the MVP. I think we got an opportunity to really see him and the kind of confidence and the kind of presence that he has on the court. And, of course, it's a skewed uh, sample because it's an all-star game. But you do get a sense for the kind of talent that a player has by the way they play in situations like that. And Ben certainly put on a show last night.
3: Oh, he did. And and that's Ben's personality, you know, having now worked with him for the last couple of years. Uh, I mean, this is one focused young man. Uh, he wants to be the best. And, uh, I mean, I can tell you, you know, oftentimes after a game, he gets on the bus and all of a sudden I'm hearing my voice. And it's because he's watching the highlights of the game and he's watching his highlights. And, and so uh, it was great to see him you know, do what he did last night, especially in the arena that he calls home. Uh, He's a super talented player and uh, just one of the many talented young players that the Pacers have on their roster. And, you know, we have another uh, second-year Canadian uh, in Andrew Nimhard who has played really, really well. So we're very fortunate to have both uh, Ben and Andrew as a part of the roster.
0: Well, the Canadian content's becoming more common in the NBA. uh, Canada has the second-most... Uh, players other than the United States as a nation in the NBA, and to watch the two contribute to the the much-improved Pacers this year is really great to see. Talk about Halliburton and what kind of a special player he is. Now, I'll, I'll put my asterisks here. I'm from the state of Iowa. I'm an Iowan, and uh, Halliburton was a great player at Iowa State. Uh, but talk about – talk. are you surprised at how good this young man is?
3: I don't know if I'm surprised. I think it's just happened a little quicker than we all thought. Um, you know, two years ago when the Pacers made the trade just before the All-Star break, they sent an All-Star in DeMontas Sabonis to Sacramento. And I think many people thought that if you made that trade, you possibly were going to get De'Aaron Fox. But the Pacers really wanted Tyrese Halliburton, and, and absolutely you can understand why it's not just what he does on the floor it's his leadership in the locker room it's his embracing of this entire community i mean he's going to be worn out after this weekend because he is the ambassador for indianapolis I mean, he's everywhere i mean i saw him on the tnt telecast last night um of the the rising stars game he was uh at uh, Lucas oil stadium for the celebrity game. Uh, we had a big tip off celebration that my partner Quinn Buckner and I had a role in on Thursday night. And Tyrese was there. He, he drove up, uh, with an Indy car driver in an IndyCar. Um, so by the time we get to the game tomorrow night, and again, he's in the three point shootout tonight. Uh, he, he's, he's going to be one tired guy, but he has embraced this opportunity. Uh, he's a wonderful player. I mean, he's nearly a 50-40-90 guy. He's shooting 50% from the field, 40% from three, and a tick under uh, 90% at the line. Leads the NBA in assists, uh, almost 12 a game. Averages well over 20 points per game. And he's 23 years old. He won't be 24 until uh, leap day, uh, February 29th. Uh, He signed for the next five years. So, uh, Indy fans are just thrilled to have him uh, as a part of this franchise not just now, but in, in the future and going forward.
0: You're listening to The Basketball Show on Sports 1440 in Edmonton. I'm speaking with the play-by-play voice, Chris Denari from Bali Sports Indiana. Uh, you know what, Chris, uh, being from the long-suffering, uh, I lived for a number of years and have a lot of family in the the Twin City area in Minnesota. And I mean, you know as well as anyone the long-suffering nature of a Timberwolves fan. I, I think they're still pinching themselves this year with the fact that the Timberwolves are having such an outstanding, uh, outstanding year. But one of the the problems all small market teams uh, face is how do you keep your superstars uh, in your market before they go on to greener, richer pastures in the main in the main markets, the mega markets? But to have Tyrese. Uh, you know, sign for the next five years to have the kind of positive influence and leader that he is. Boy, that is exciting for the Pacer basketball faithful.
3: Yeah, and it, you know the the other piece is you know what you know Toronto gave up uh, in the trade. And I'm sure we'll talk about that. But to get Pascal Siakam, uh, a two time All Star, two time All NBA, uh, he is a free agent at the end of the season. But I think the Pacers and, and Pascal are both confident that they will. Uh, come to an agreement on a, a new contract and pair him with Tyree Dalbert and so you're right from a from a small market standpoint oftentimes it's tough um, to get those players in free agency you you oftentimes have to trade for them and that's what the Pacers were willing to do uh, to get Pascal Siakam uh, I think the the pairing of he and Halliburton early on and, and Tyrese Smith's time uh, with a hamstring injury. But it's been very, very positive. And uh, Pascal has said, look, this is a place I, I want to call home. So I think there's a lot of excitement here in Indianapolis for what the Pacers front office has been able to do the last couple of years, bringing in somebody uh, like Tyrese Halliburton and then uh, about a month ago uh, making the trade for Pascal Siakam.
0: Well, the possibilities of pairing Matherin with Siakam, uh, and hopefully Ben will be a long-term uh, part of the Pacer organization as well. That's a re- with with Tyrese leading the way. That that is really an attractive and exciting lineup. But let's talk about Pascal. I I always felt like with Pascal that post the Raptors championship in 2019. You could just sort of see the air slowly going out of the balloon. And it was a mystery, I think, to everyone in Canada who was watching the Raptors as to why this player who became who became an all-star, he was a, certainly a major contributor to the championship, I think surprised a lot of people as a second-round draft pick that he became as good as he was, but why it seemed to go sour here in Toronto, because He's very engaging, really a positive person. But for whatever reason, it didn't align. But now to hear that uh, in Indiana, and by the way, I don't think it's—I'm stretching it here—to say that Indiana got the better of that trade. But uh, but to to hear that Pascal feels that positively about the organization is a really good starting point for him coming into the Pacers.
3: Yeah, and, and what was really neat was you know Wednesday we ended the the pre All Star break portion of schedule in Toronto. And uh, to see the love that the organization had, the fans, uh, I've never seen anything like we saw on Wednesday night because usually when a former player goes back uh, to his, his first team or his former team, it's a mix, right? It's a mix of uh, boos and cheers. It's never 100% either way. This was 100% love fest. And ironically, it was Valentine's Day. But I think that shows the type of person that Pascal is—not just on the floor, but off the floor—and you know what he meant to that organization in winning a title back in 2019. I mean, it's a phenomenal story when you think about—you know—he really you know, grew up in the G League um, with, what, what, with Toronto with Raptors 905, and he was the player of the year in the G League. They won a title. Um, so it's not like he came in and took the NBA by storm. He was somebody that really had to work and develop his game to be who he was with the Raptors and who he can be now. And, um, you know, he's 29 years old. Um, he's still in his prime. Uh, the Pacers feel very good about having him, you know, paired with Nimhard and Matherin. I mean, that's the great thing is Tyrese is only in year four this year. Uh, Siakam's only in year eight. You have Miles Turner in his ninth year. And then you have a lot of players that are very young. Neesmith, uh, Aaron Neesmith had a great year. Uh, Matherin and, and Nimhard are in their third year. So it's a really nice mix uh, of players that I think can be a core uh, for the next four or five years. The Indiana Pacer
0: history is really unique with its roots being in the ABA. I'm I'm uh, of the vintage where I saw some ABA games and I certainly followed uh, the ABA very closely. I'm a bit of a, just a bit of a fanatic on the ABA. And, uh, the Indiana Pacers had such a rich, rich history. Mel Daniels, Bob, Mel Daniels, Bob Nettelicki. I mean, names you never, you never hear of anymore unless you're a real historian of the game. But that's really what started the, started the ball rolling. And at that time, even though the, the state of Indiana, a la Hoosiers has always been a basketball mecca. It never, uh, y- y- you never would have seen an NBA franchise at that time. So the ABA took a leap into Indiana, and then it carried forward into uh, into the NBA.
3: Yeah, and you would not have Gamebridge uh, Fieldhouse where the Pacers play, which is a, an awesome building, Lucas Oil Stadium where the Colts play. You would not have uh, any of the things that have happened in downtown Indianapolis if it wasn't for the Pacers, uh, you know, joining the ABA in the late 60s, playing into the 70s, and then one of the four franchises that merged into the NBA in the mid-70s. So uh, all of the great things that have happened in Indianapolis, hosting Super Bowls, All-Star Games, Final Fours, all those kinds of things, you really just go back, and it starts with the Pacers. Because if, if the Pacers aren't successful, then none of this stuff happens at all. So that's why this week is a real celebration. Uh, the last time the NBA All-Star Game was here was 1985. Uh, we were supposed to have it uh, you know, before COVID hit. Uh, but it really has worked out for the best because – Uh, The building has been renovated the last three years. Uh, It's unbelievable. There's a brand-new plaza outside. That's where we hosted uh, uh, the tip-off event on Thursday. And, by the way, uh, you mentioned some of those names. Bob Netalicki was there, Freddie Lewis, um, you know, Uh, Rick Smits, uh, Ron Artest, now Metta World Peace, Jermaine O'Neal. I mean, you had all these former players that Quinn Buckner and I introduced, and we probably had a crowd of about 5,000 outside, you know, watching this. And so we're celebrating the great history of Indiana basketball, but more importantly, what the Pacers have meant to this city and this state.
0: You're listening to The Basketball Show on Sports 1440. I'm your host, Paul Sir, being joined by Chris Denari, the play-by-play voice from Bali Sports, Indiana, for the Indiana Pacers hosting the NBA All-Star Weekend. Talk about the NBA this year. And, you know, the Pacers have had – I think think it's fair to say, uh, Chris, that it's been a bit of a surprise at how well the Pacers have played. Uh, and where their record is. They're developing faster, I think, as a unit and starting to scare people in the East a lot faster than maybe people thought they would. But talk about the the NBA season thus far. What are a couple of things that stand out to you about how the NBA season's unfolded?
3: Well, I'll tell you, I I think what you have to be worried about if you're any team is anybody can beat anybody. Case in point, you know, Thursday night I'm, I'm sitting in my office just putting some stuff together, um, you know, ahead of next week. And I'm watching Milwaukee and Memphis. And Memphis has all kinds of injuries. They've got a bunch of G League players out there. Milwaukee's considered one of the best teams in the NBA uh, with Giannis, and and Memphis beats them. And so that's sort of been a little bit of the story. I mean, clearly you have the Bostons and, as you said, Minnesota Oklahoma City that those two are great stories because Minnesota as you said has long not been a playoff team and Oklahoma City uh, after losing Durant and Westbrook and Harden really had taken a step back and those are two young talented teams but but I think the league is in a great place there are so many talented young players you're going to see a number of them on display tomorrow night uh, in the All-Star game. Tyrese Halliburton's one of those. Uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, um, you know, another Canadian. Um, there, there's just so much talent um, in the NBA right now that even the teams that don't have great records, you got to be worried about on a nightly basis because um, they've got good players. Uh, so, but, but I think it's, uh, you know, the league, there's a lot of threes being shot. They're playing at a fast pace. I mean, the Pacers lead the NBA uh, at about 125 points per game. You know, Halliburton sort of maestros that and orchestrates that. But, uh, you know, it's it's definitely an athletic, fast-paced game, and a lot of these younger teams are taking advantage of that, and that's why you're seeing them so successful.
0: Well, when I hear that that number, 125 points a game, it's, it's, it's near and dear to my heart because that – uh, I, I'll call it, from my vantage point, the dreadful era when I think the entire NBA averaged under 100 points a game because it was just, I mean, there's physical and then, you know, that that was just a different era of, phys- of physicality in, in terms of how people were defended at that point. But uh, really exciting about the Indiana Pacer uh, evolution, the development, we're really happy as Canadians for Pascal Siakam, that he's hopefully found a new home. Uh, the play of Matherin is is exciting, and Nemhart as well. And Chris, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today. And I hope we can uh, do this as the season progresses and uh, and get caught up again.
3: Oh, absolutely, anytime. Love talking basketball. Love talking about the Pacers and the NBA. So uh, anytime you want to do it again, I'll be happy to do it.
0: Well, thank you very much, Chris. Chris Denari, the play-by-play voice from Bali Sports Indiana, joining us on the basketball show. We're going to wrap up the show today and going to bring on my my friends uh, right after the break here on Sports 1440. You know, one of the things I love about the basketball show on Sports 1440 is the music. When we lead in with Queen, we got the Temptations. I mean, I feel like we're a greatest hit station more than we're a sports talk show. Uh, hey, uh, Mr. Reed, why don't you tell us what's going on with the poll?
2: For sure. So, in
3: this, in this thing right here, we have the, the poll for the NBA Dunk Contest tonight. Who people think are winning? We have had some voters here. And the favorite so far has been Mac McClum. So, Mac McClung has more than half the vote. Uh, and second place is Jalen Brown, then Jacob Toppin, then Hammy Hawkins Jr. with 7% of the vote.
0: Mac McClung played in the G League most of the year this year. Kind of came out of it last year, Brian. And still stills in the G League right now. So. Yeah, I don't think he's
1: G- played a single game in the NBA yeah. this
0: season. Right. But uh, he's the, when you, if you walked into the gym and you saw the guys lining up for the dunk competition, he'd be the last guy you'd pick. And uh, he put on a show last year.
1: Yeah, he absolutely did, and uh, I think he's gonna. I'm looking forward to seeing what he's gonna do tonight because it's gonna be hard to top what he did last year. But you know, these guys—they have—they're. They're, I'll give them this: they're very creative.
0: They are that, and uh, to say they're athletic would be the, just a gross understatement. Br- Brian, let's talk about the Milwaukee Bucks, and uh, I'm going to quote you uh, from when we were talking before the show, and you used the term "dumpster fire," and uh, I, I, you know, they inexplicably to the general public fire their coach early when they have a a great winning record. And then they hire Doc Rivers venerated. Yes, but an odd hire. And it's been a three and seven start. There seems to be dissension and unhappiness throughout that lineup. They recently made a deal to bring Patrick Beverly in to, for backup uh, point guard play general disturber, of uh, opponents, uh, uh, and you know they they made the big off season move to bring in Damian Lillard. They still have, I think, uh, the, I think there's still ten games over 500. But uh, you, you, I, as uh, Chris pointed out in our last segment, they just lost to a, a depleted Memphis team that you just would not expect for a team with the kind of talent they have. What, what's your assessment of that whole this
1: whole mess that, that seems to be unfolding in Milwaukee? I've never seen anything like this because I mean you got to remember too they fired their their coach before the start of the season they've already made two coaching changes in 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 the course of the uh, basically I guess four months now and uh, there's already rumors that Doc might not last through the rest of the season if he doesn't get it turned around very quickly and it's just. It's unbelievable of course doc is is rather infamously coaching the east in the all star game this week because Milwaukee has world yeah. yeah Milwaukee they they qualify uh, Milwaukee having the best record uh, well Boston has the best record but they can't coach two years in a row uh so the whole thing is it, it's just bizarre and you know doc i thought you know I thought doc hit on uh put it rather astutely after the that that loss in Memphis when he said that there's a lot of guys who are already in Cabo. Uh, you know, and, and, and you got to start wondering. I mean, I, I'm not – I i didn't think the Doc hire was necessarily the best move. Doc has had a, kind of a spotty track record. He won the title in Boston, but he hasn't been able to get teams to the next level since then. But I don't know if you can put this on Doc when, you know, it's – when you keep changing coaches and there's all this stuff kind of still going on, then when do you start to look – okay, there's one thing that we change, but the constant – and there's still the problems, right? You know what I mean? Oh, I do. I know. Yeah. I,
0: I know exactly what you mean. And, and problems fester if they're not somehow effectively addressed and dealt with. And it seems like there are just internal problems that, for the general public looking from the outside in, that you you can't even fathom why they would be in such a state of upheaval when they have the kind of talent that they have. They have one of the great players in the game in Yannis Antetokounmpo. They really have two of them. Two, yeah, two of the top ten players in the game in their lineup. It it would seem they align. I mean, certainly people have questioned their depth this year because of what they had to trade away to get Lillard. But on the flip side, they should be in the thick of it, and instead they're in this, this state of upheaval and controversy.
1: Yeah, you know, you have Giannis calling on his teammates after the last game, and there, there, there's a lot going on there. But like you say, Paul, I mean, they're, they 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 still they're ten games above 500. They're uh you know they've fallen well back of Boston. Boston's running away with the Eastern Conference now, but Milwaukee gets hot for a week or two, and they could be right back in the number two seed. And I don't know if that might be what kind of is. Precipitating, uh, if there is another potential move to, to to get rid of Doc and bring in another coaches, is, is just because they feel they are that close and they still can not only salvage this season but turn it into something where they make a championship run.
0: I'm going to link it into the conversation we had with with Chris Denari, and is it is this the is are these the actions of a small market team desperate to keep their superstar happy within their community because. We all know Giannis; uh, he has a long-term deal, but we all we know what long-term deals mean in the uh, in the NBA, a la James Harden. If you don't like where you're at, you just ask for a trade. Generally, it's granted. Is this a desperate attempt by management to appease Giannis in particular uh, to keep him happy and wanting to stay in
1: Milwaukee long-term? Well, I think well, obviously the trade to get Damian Lillard that was that Giannis wanted that, and and the reason they upset their chemistry a little bit i think now that we've had a half half a season plus to see this there that this might not have been the best move personnel wise but that's what Giannis wanted and they made that move in spite of the fact that i think a lot of people at that point in time looked at that trade and said i don't know if this necessarily makes sense uh you know and and i don't know and I'll, i'll go back to you on this paul is there a way that those two can coexist on a on a championship contending team?
0: Absolutely. I thought really that it was a move that should work. To be honest, because I, I don't know Lillard, uh, you know, obviously don't know Lillard and his true personality behind the scenes, but he seems to be a seems to be a guy that wants to win because he's been in Portland and not than winning so he seems like he'd be willing to sacrifice his game a bit but it's going to be interesting unfortunately that music means that our two hours which flew by once again are up thank you so much for joining us today thanks to ryan connor brian for being uh being here anchoring the show we had great guests today dave youngs sean chersenoff steve sir and of course uh kyle macy and chris denari uh, joining us as well already looking forward to next week so everybody have a great week on and off the court join the uh, enjoy the all-star game this weekend hoops coming up and uh we'll be back with you next saturday here on sports 1440